Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Marilyn won the game the other day. I'm going to ask you to be totally truthful on this one. Did you want to coach that game? I'm not saying you wanted to coach any other game in the last X years, but did you want to coach that one? Oh, yeah. I mean, the crowd was good. Uh, (laughs) It reminded me of a lot of things. Because your team's there, you feel like a coach again. Uh, And uh, I haven't had that feeling for a long time now, so that was good. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. That, of course, was Gary Williams the other day. I got a nice text and then had a phone conversation with the socialite about that. He was thrilled to hear Gary. I mean, you know, if you know Gary Williams, it's just wonderful to hear. Very measured. No one tried to talk to his ball. Right. That's right. (laughs) Not like on a golf course where you just cannot get in his peripheral vision. And he's the only person I've ever met with 360-degree peripheral vision. Most people stop about 180 to 200. Gary can see behind his own head. So if he sees you and he hits a bad shot, it's your fault. Love, Gary. From Victoria Kinden, Vice President of Sentimental Weakness at Longwood University. Long time little here. I work at Longwood University in Virginia, and our men's and women's basketball team just won their Big South tournaments and are heading to the big dance together for the first time in our D1 history. I trust you will all adopt us as your team, as we are, in fact, Virginia's third oldest public university. I assume the oldest is the university. I would think so, I assume that. Um, Plus, I want to overnight you great free merchandise. What address should I send the overnight package in? Thanks for your support, and go wood. P.S. I hope our name doesn't make Phil's mom blush. It's a great last line. <laughs> Nigel will take care of this, and yes. we will wear our Longwood University stuff proudly. There we go. I, by the way, I did not know until a couple of years ago that Longwood was in Virginia. It was just I was unfamiliar with the school. So, and good for them, men's and women's. Yes, congrats. It's really good. From Don Thomas's, that's his name. That, that's not two of them. His last name is Thomas's, and he's not an English muffin. Oh, I was going to say. No, he's not an English muffin. No apostrophes in there? Been listening, no apostrophes. Been listening to PTI for most of recorded history, and I'm a devoted fan. Only recently discovered the podcast, which gets me through my gym workouts. We have a few shared life events. I'm also from the South Shore. Wontaw High School, class of 65. I also went to college upstate, University of Rochester, and we were both English majors. Your fond memories of the island have triggered many reflections, so I thought I'd share some sports history stories I was told by my father. Back in the 50s, Dad was the head football coach at the famous Sawanica High School in Floral Park. Now, for those of you who don't know Sawanica High School, um, it's, it's a, a tough kid school in the Elmont area, South Shore of Long Island, very close to Queens. Sal Palantonio's brother, I believe, was a starting offensive lineman there when Vinny Testaverde was the quarterback. Wow. Sawanica High School. Among his many joys was having to come up with a defense to stop Manhasset High School, which had a pretty good running back. His name was Jim Brown. Yeah, he's the greatest athlete ever. <laughs> ever yeah, ever. Jim Brown. Ben, Schwartzwal- ben Schwartzwalder, the Syracuse coach, used to stay in our guest room on recruiting trips. I guess that worked out well for him. How great was Jim Brown? I just found out he had the Long Island basketball scoring record of 38 points until it was broken by Carl Yastrzemski of Bridgehampton. So, I mean, if you're looking, like, guys who go on to have great pro careers in one sport, do you think they can't play anything else? Because they can. They can play everything else. My dad noticed this big athletic kid roaming the halls at Sawanica and tried to convince him to come out for the team. That was until Jim Fraley, the legendary track and field coach, put the kibosh on that idea. This kid's not hurting himself playing a dumb sport like football, he said. The kid's name was Al Order. He went on to win the gold medal in the discus in four consecutive Olympics. Four. Four golds. Last story. 
One year, my dad noticed this young guy hanging around football practice. He said he wanted to be a coach, and he asked if he could look at the team and look and learn. He would bring the coach's coffee every day and ask a lot of questions. And his name was Al Davis. How did Al Davis do? Just win, baby. How did Al Davis do? Thanks for helping us get through the dark days of COVID. When I ride my bike, I always wear white. It's just a lovely, lovely email that makes me very happy. He and I are the same age. We have the same background. I know all these people he's talking about. Every single one. He made it to Rochester. I didn't. I mean, if I recall correctly, I got in and then was booted out because I had bad grades in the second half. Oh, of my I thought senior. something else was the. I didn't have enough money issue. to go anyway, or I didn't get in. It doesn't matter. I wanted to go to the University of Rochester very badly, and I didn't. I, I'm really happy where I went. Sure. Harper College, which became University State University of New York at Binghamton, now Binghamton University. I'm really happy. Couldn't be happier. But in fact. I wanted to go to the University of Rochester, where I would have... It, if you think it's cold in Binghamton, and you may not, because you may not know where Binghamton is, it's cold in Rochester. Mark Tuohy's from Rochester. Mark and Marty Tuohy, by the way, the birth of a grandson recently, young oh, Owen Tuohy, which is very nice. Owen! <laughs> um, so I wanted to start out today with stuff, because we're going to have Steve Sands to talk about golf and Sally Jenkins to talk about the Olympics, and we're not going to talk about football. Football, which is a sport that drives the bus in the United States of America. There is nothing, nothing as important, forget more important, there is nothing as important as the NFL in sports in the United States of America. And if you wonder why some of these people who do color commentary on it are getting salaries that are, they are unbelievable. Tony Romo's salary and allegedly what Troy Aikman is going to make, you don't get that in baseball. You don't get that in basketball. Because there's no big profit in those sports. You get the NFL on TV, you're making money, kids. So you can afford to spend a lot of money on somebody to do the Quarter, NFL. Quarterback money. Quarterback money. Absolutely. So with the NFL done, we spent a lot of time on PTI doing the NBA. Now, Wilbon loves the NBA. I'm okay with that. I loved the NBA when I was a kid. It's a little harder for me now, but I loved it. I'm old enough to know everybody who ever played in the NBA, to have seen everybody but George Mikan, who was great. I've seen them all. Have. But the problem with NBA stories on a television show like ours is that, by and large, it's how do you think they're going to do in the playoffs? You're always sort of looking ahead. Because to be fair, the NBA regular season is meaningless. It doesn't matter. 16 of the 30 teams get in the playoffs. In fact, now with the play-in games... 20 of the 30 teams, two-thirds of the teams, have an opportunity to win the playoffs. You know, the 10 could beat the 7 and then keep going. You don't, it's possible. Unlikely, but possible. So it's always that kind of story. It's not a hard news story. The NFL provides hard news. The NFL week-to-week provides hard news. Who's going to win this game? Because this game is important because there aren't that many games. This game is important. Yesterday was a bonanza for us because Aaron Rodgers is staying. I know Mike hates talking about Aaron Rodgers and said yesterday it's no big deal because he's staying. It is a big deal. It is is a big deal because he's staying. Because now somebody can say, ooh, that uh, Jordan Love draft pick wasn't that smart, was it? Because Jordan Love's not getting anywhere near the field unless Aaron Rodgers is carted off the field. Aaron Rodgers staying makes Green Bay the favorite in the NFC because Tom Brady's no longer in the NFC. And you could say the L.A. Rams – but, you know, the L.A. Rams are going to lose a lot of people in free agency. And the Packers don't look like they are at this point with Aaron Rodgers coming back. I assume they tagged Devontae Adams. They did. You know, and, and it's fine. 
That means he plays this year. They work out a contract, they take the tag off. But he plays there this year. And Russell Wilson, he's going. He's leaving Seattle. Seattle got an unbelievable haul in draft picks. Two firsts, two seconds, and a bunch of players. Seattle's starting over. They're done. I don't know how long it'll take for them. They're in the toughest division in the NFC. Without Russell Wilson, they're done. But Russell Wilson had been agitating for two years now to get out. Whenever he talked about it publicly, he said, no, I'm a hawk. I'm a hawk. But then he would send his agent out with a list of teams that he wanted to play for. So Russell Wilson was double dealing. And, you know, if you got sick of Aaron Rodgers, and a lot of people did, you could get sick of Russell Wilson, too. You know, because he's putting that one hand out saying, stop, stop, stop. And the other hand, he's saying, come on, come on, come on. But he's gone now. And he goes to Denver. And he goes from the best division in the NFC with three playoff teams to the best division in the AFC with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Derek Carr and now Russell Wilson at Denver, a team that a lot of people said for a couple of years now, all they lacked was a quarterback. They had everything else. In fact, when they hired, who's that guy, Nathaniel Hackett, who was the offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, the assumption was that's where Aaron Rodgers would land. And the debate endlessly on the Get Up show was, if you're Aaron Rodgers, do you want to go to the toughest division in the AFC? Do you really want to do that? It's hard to get out of that. The easier path to the Super Bowl by far is the NFC. By far. You're worrying about, if you're Aaron Rodgers, all you're worried about is Matthew Stafford and Dak Prescott. If you're Russell Wilson, because Russell Wilson's out, and Tom Brady's out. If you're Russell Wilson, and you're in the AFC, you have Cincinnati, you have Baltimore, you have Tennessee, you have Kansas City, you have Indianapolis, you have the L.A. Chargers. I know I'm, I know I'm leaving people out. You've got a lot of really good teams that you have to get through to get to the Super Bowl. So we had news yesterday, and it was lovely. I mean, for me, for doing a, a show on sports, to have two big stories like that was great. And then you always have who's going to make the NCAAs. A big day, don't you think? Huge day. And you guys had a, had a, a wonderful open that I wanted to text you about. But uh, I was a little surprised that you thought the path to redemption for Rodgers is still such a long path. Wilbon does not. I think it's already done. I mean, if you, you think, think about, that you think the obfuscation over being immunized is done doesn't last with him. I, I think that's the power of the NFL schedule. And now you look at it and basically by giving that's him 50, fifty mil a year, you start to look at what does it look like when you see him on the first Sunday night game. I don't know what the schedule is, but if you think about week three, four, five, once you get some of those primetime games or the big four o'clock Sunday game, yeah, completely done. You already look at how how quickly we're moving past this with every major city. So I'm not I'm not sort of in that camp with him, but. Money, money sort of will, will please at all. That's Wilbon's position, <clears throat> and, and maybe you guys are right. Um, I, I, just felt that, I just felt that he has, has to look for redemption on that area, that smaller area, than in the playoffs. He has one Super Bowl win. He's got five MVPs. At the moment, he's only got one Super Bowl appearance also. Russell Wilson's been in two. Should have won both. Should have won. Won one. Should have yes. won both, except for a terrible call. By an offensive coordinator. Just terrible call. Not giving the ball to beast mode is insane. <laughs> Throwing the pass so Malcolm Butler intercepts it, game over. But in this particular case, Aaron Rodgers has been to one Super Bowl, five MVPs. He's going to Canton. Of course he is. But that induction, you know, there's, there's two lines for quarterbacks. There's the line that ends with, are you in the discussion for greatest quarterback ever? Are you in the discussion? Or are you in the discussion for... What happened here? Sort of an underachiever. 
And on one side, there's Tom Brady, and on the other side, there's Dan Marino. And Aaron Rodgers going to that side. Now, if he wins two, that's different. If he wins two, that's different. If he somehow gets to three, that's really different. I mean, John Elway won two, and people will talk about him as the greatest quarterback of all time. Tom Brady is the greatest. But you're, I'm, I'm just saying you're in the conversation. Yeah, but I think staying, two with, gets staying, staying with one team quiets some of that because yes. it's not just on you. And if you look at Peyton and you come back to what's going on with Russell Wilson, it's sort of if you sneak that second one in as sort of the— Peyton Manning uh, yeah. did. So yeah. he's in the conversation. He had That's to right. go to a second team to do it, but he did it. Yeah. And he played in four. Yeah. He played in four. If you only play in Don, Dan Marino, only played in one. And even though it's, even though when you're the quarterback, you're only on the field half the time, and you can't really determine the outcome. When you're as great as Dan Marino, and you only played in one, people say, well, "What happened?" Yeah, he's got to answer that all the time. What happened? Aaron Rodgers with one win, fine. But if you only play in one, that you do, you don't think that becomes a question? His record in the playoffs is eleven and ten. He's got five MVPs. We all think he's great. His record in the playoffs is is insubstantial for him. No? No, I totally agree with you, and that's why the next two years of that deal are so important, just because of what the path is through the NFC. Yeah, and he's great, and I like him. He doesn't like me by now, I'm sure, because I've knocked him a few times. But, you know, that's the job, kids. Every once in a while, that's the job. So those were really good stories to be able to talk about. And I don't have to talk about the miserable weather in Washington. It's awful. It's terrible. It's gloomy. Woke, woke it's up the raining. hammer. Yeah, what happened? What time? Just oh, you got up at around four thirty because the uh, the rain outside his window. Mm. There's this terrifying tree that just swooshes around. Well, you should cut that. Is it on your property? It's not. It's just on the edge. So we had a tree limbing company come out, but right. we don't have access to that. We'll talk to your neighbors and say, "Would you mind if we dance with your dates?" <laughs> I'll have Liz take care of that. Yeah, <laughs> she's probably better at it than you. Much more measured. Yeah. So we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, Steve Sands will join us. We'll talk about the. I don't, look, it's not a major, okay? The People say it's major. the fifth major. It's not a major. It's the fifth Beatles. I believe it's an over-praised tournament, but it's a really good tournament. It is. Really good tournament, the players. So we'll have Steve Sands when we return, and I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes from Todd Hart. Who writes, it's Todd Hart. Yes, that Todd Hart from Kohler, Wisconsin. The guy that brought you Tadapalooza and the best toilets in America, along with your favorite brand name, favorite band name, Post Sex Nachos, who are at it again. They've just released their third album, your second favorite boy band. <coughs> Excuse me, the band had signed with an agent and are moving to Nashville as soon as the youngest member, Mitch Broden, graduates from your beloved Mizzou. Any extra attention is greatly appreciated because the last time you played their music, they got a huge pop and play on Spotify. P.S. I just got back from Band and Dunes. was tremendous. Special shout-out to Rennie Bray, my caddy for all six rounds, who after any bad shot would inform me that his wife just texted him and he wouldn't be able to caddy for me anymore because he had to take his son to basketball practice. <laughs> all the best, Todd. This is a song called I Got This Feeling That Won't Let Go. 
It is post-sex nachos, which is a great name. It really is. A As is name. Norwegian soft kitten. <laughs> These yes. are just, they're great names. Yeah. Uh, and they play in uh, Steve Sands, who joins us now from Ponte Vedra, Florida, site of the Players' Championship. Let's start with a newsworthy question. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau not playing, injured. Is that a big deal to you? Does it portend something else? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it portends something else. Um, I was reading last week, actually, that if he didn't play last week where he was defending the Arnold Palmer Invitational presented by MasterCard, and if he didn't play this week, that he would actually get wrist surgery. So let's see what happens um, with that. But with the Masters coming up, Tony, in a few weeks, uh, this is the first marquee event of the year, the Players' Championship. And for a guy like Bryson DeChambeau and his caliber, you know, to, to miss this week, something must be really wrong. So Wilbon and I went to two things. We went to sustainability of his physical situation because he remade his body and he swings so violently and who knows how, what the shelf life is on that. And then he said something to Golf Week. He said, big things coming. And it, you know, I didn't know what it meant. And so I would ask you, what does it mean? And does it have anything to do with the Saudi Golf League? And then I thought the Saudi Golf League was dead in the water. Yeah, it's not dead in the water. I think it's it's not looking good right now for, for those folks who are into that. Um, but it took a big hit at Riviera when all the players announced, including Bryson, that he wasn't yep. going to be involved in it, and that he was going um, to be loyal to the PGA Tour. But I don't know, Tony. I mean, you know, who, who knows with, with Bryson? It's, it's such a bizarre thing. He's played twice on the PGA Tour in like six months. And That's all. He hasn't played a lot of. He hasn't played a lot mm-hmm. of golf on right. the PGA Tour. And when you have a bad wrist, I, you might, I remember when when he changed his body and started swinging the way he's swinging. We were talking, you know, I mean, off air. We talk you know, or text or call, but on the air on your show, we were talking about. We kind of not joked, but we kind of alluded to the fact that was he trying to have a twenty to twenty five year career on the PGA Tour, or was he trying for like a Kurt Warner like run? Of, of just a fabulous, you know, five to seven year run uh, on the PGA Tour, and I don't know, I don't know how anybody could play at this level. And Michael knows this. As 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 many golf balls as these guys hit, as hard as these guys get after it, to do it the way he's doing it is just not sustainable. It's just not. And hopefully, the wrist is something that is not going to be something that lingers for him. But when you talk wrists. And backs on the PGA Tour, that, that's a bad sign to him. Okay. All right. If, uh, if you say that the Saudi Golf Tour is not dead, not dead necessarily, no. though not looking good right now, it, of course, makes me ask about Phil Mickelson and where he stands now. Where does he stand with the tour? Where does he stand with the president of the tour, Jay Monahan? Where does he stand with his fellows after he got strafed pretty good by Rory McIlroy? What what? Where's Phil now, and what do you think he'll do next? Well, that's a huge, huge question. So Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, said yesterday um, on the Golf Channel that he would welcome speaking to Phil and that when he's ready to come back to play the PGA Tour, he would like to chat with him about it. He is not suspended right now. He could have played here this week at the Players. He, He said, quote, there was no stop sign for him to play, which means that he's not suspended. He decided to take time away, and the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan said, is 
happy to allow him to do that, and that when he decides to come back, that he would like to speak with him. But his player, the players, his peers, they've softened a touch. You know, Tony, remember how you know, Rory you know, took a flamethrower to him um, publicly, and it was, it was pretty wild. Ooh. Billy Horschel did the same thing. I mean, I, it's very rare, Tony, that you would see professional athletes go after one another the way golfers went after Phil, but they really took offense to what he said and, and some of the things that he did. And He'll be welcome back. Rory, Rory took a step back last week at Bay Hill. I don't know if you heard that when he said, we will welcome him back, um, but it, it'll be a slow process, that kind of thing. So, you know, Phil, for now, uh, has decided he's going to step away from the game, and it'll be really interesting. Here's, here's what I think. You, you miss the Players' Championship. He's a Players' Champion. Uh, 30-year member of the PGA Tour. This is the PGA Tour's marquee event of the season. Um, he's in the World Golf Hall of Fame, which Tiger is being inducted into tonight. Uh, this is a big week for golf. It's a big week for the PGA Tour. For Phil to miss this when he's eligible to play it is huge. Now, in a few weeks at Augusta, it gets even larger. And then you can make a strong case, even though the Masters is his favorite event, Tony, you can make a strong case that if he misses the PGA Championship in May at Southern Hills in Tulsa, where he's the defending champion, became the oldest major champion in the history of the sport last year when he won at Akiwa Island, that would be even larger. So if he doesn't play in the next couple months, um, it'll be interesting to see if we ever see him play again on the PGA Tour. Wow. I, to be honest, what I've thought all along is he'd sit out about a month, he'd make a public apology, public contrition. He'd find somebody to talk to on television for a sit down for 15 or 20 minutes. And at some point he would say, I pledge myself to the PGA Tour. And you know what I'd really like to do? Be the Ryder Cup captain. And then I think everybody applauds and, uh, and welcomes him back. Do you think, what do you think the chances are of that? Well, I agree that's what he should do, uh, whether he will do. You know, Phil yeah. has always, you know, marched to his own beat. He's, he's always um, been a bit of a maverick uh, when it comes to some of the things he's said over the years uh, and some of the things he's done. But this time he's really stepped in it, Tony. He's really put himself uh, in a bad spot. And, I, yeah. yes, I think he should sit down with somebody uh, and – take his hat and sunglasses off and say, ask whatever you want for as long as you wish. And I will be as honest uh, as possible. Yes. Uh, yes. And, you know, but Tony, when you, when you miss big events like this by choice, that's just not how golf works. And I think the telltale is in a few weeks. Augusta is the biggest event of the year. Okay. It's the, it's his favorite event. He's a three time champion of the masters. And, Clearly, he's eligible to play. So if he doesn't play the Masters in a few weeks, to me, that's, that, that's, that's going down a completely different avenue. The other thing is, Tony, where's his exit strategy? Where's his off-ramp? Just talking on TV for 15, 20 minutes, apologizing for the things he said and the things he did? Because the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup captaincies, those aren't going to happen, Tony. I mean, he really said some things that ticked off the establishment and the establishment decides who's the, who would the captain be. And he, right. That's right. He is not, he is not going to be the captain uh, unless something really, really changes.
All right, well, we'll wait and see on that. Let me get more contemporary and go to Scotty Scheffler, who has now won yeah. two big deal tournaments in four or five weeks, whatever it is, and who at least on the on the last day, um, just this, this past week, on the last day of the Arnold Palmer, in the last few holes, made two great par saves. Par fours where he's off the green. He's got to get on the green and make a putt. He did that twice and then hit a brilliant first putt on 18. That really was. I mean, what do we think of him? You know, it's funny. I was telling someone on Sunday that I think the thing that is the most amazing to me about PGA Tour players compared to those of us who just hack it around, when they get themselves in trouble, how they get out of it, and the the thing that is the least sexy that PGA Tour players do that is astonishing is lag putting. That putt on 18, Tony, he put it to tap and ring. I mean, that's all the pressure in the world. He's about 70 feet away, 67 feet away. Yeah. And puts it to, yeah. within tap in range on greens that are like ice. They look like Formica. And they're, they're not even greens, they were browns. I mean, they were, they were rolling 14 on the stip. I mean, that was a great putt. He really putted well coming down the stretch. And he admitted that he didn't hit the ball very well, but it was hard to hit the ball well at that golf course. It was windy, it was hard, it was firm, fast, the rough was thick. It was, it was a nasty, nasty weekend at Bay Hill. But it's amazing to me when a player wins. Scotty was the best player in the world who had yet to win a PGA Tour event. And that's a backhanded compliment. He was going to win. He was young. It's not like he's 40 years old and he was just hanging in there. He's a young kid. And he breaks through in that playoff in Scottsdale. And then he wins four weeks later at the Art of Palmer. And I remember if we go back to Whistling Straits, Tony, he was a captain's pick by Steve Stricker. And, and he played great. And he played great. And you and I chatted on the air and about some of these guys and some of these captain's picks that Steve Stricker had chosen. And a lot of people thought Sam Burns should have gotten the last spot uh, on that team. And it went to Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler played well. And that Sam Burns has already won twice on the PGA Tour. Scotty Scheffler had never won. Greg Norman told me in 2009 at Harding Park with the President's Cup, he chose Adam Scott because he wanted to kind of give him a little bit of a, you know, confidence boost, give him a little, pump him up a little bit. Adam went on to win the Masters, the players, all these kinds of things. Um, that he won the players before, he won the Masters afterwards. That's what Scotty Scheffler got. He got a lot of confidence when he was chosen by Stricker and the other players who were involved in that decision. He goes out and wins in Scottsdale, wins four weeks later. Now all of a sudden people are talking about Scotty Scheffler being a top five player in the world. And it's, it's hard to win out there. To win twice in four weeks, that's a really – and I heard you say a couple of days ago on your show – you know, these are these are good events on the PGA Tour. Yeah. These aren't just events yeah. against hacks. These are big events, Scottsdale and Bay Hill. So Scheffler can play, Tony. He's going to have a wonderful career. Okay, I'll get you out of here on this. Um, the Players is a big event as well. Uh, people yeah. point to it. Uh, it. It has the most famous call of a putt of all time, I believe. The Ver, it's Vern's call better was not most. on Tiger's putt. Yeah, better than most. Um, Gary Coke. You, Gary Coke. Tony, come on, Gary. Oh, it, oh, it was it was not Vern. Okay, Gary come Coke. On. It's great. Vern, it's Vern great. has made every other great call in the history of sports. There's no question about that. Right. But it was Gary. Yeah, it was Gary Coke who said better than most. Who do you like in this particular tournament? Who do you think is ready to win? And 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 
do we see one of those leaderboards that where you go, this is a major leaderboard? Well, first of all, I know you will agree. When you think big sporting event in America, you think Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville's a dump. Yeah. Uh, unless you really like Jackson. Waffle Houses and the great variety at most Waffle Houses, too. Well, I mean, yeah. if you've never had a scattered, covered, and smothered, then something's wrong with you. <laughs> just not. You've just never driven the highways and byways in this great yeah. country of Jacksonville, um, where the river flows north because it's telling you to get out. <laughs> I'm telling you, Tony, I was thinking of you yesterday when I'm driving up here, and I saw that sign that said Jacksonville, 15 miles. I thought, mm. Tony Kornheiser is home, Love baby. It. Love it. Um, <laughs> I think that – so remember a couple of weeks ago when Shane Lowry should have won the Honda Classic, except he got yep. poured on for the last 10 minutes mm-hmm. and got one of the worst breaks you've ever seen now. He may not have won in that playoff, but he was going to birdie the par 518. There was going to be a playoff. So, uh, for my money, Shane Lowry played the best of anybody two weeks ago at the Honda. Um, I think Lowry's going to win this week. Uh, oh. I think Lowry is perfectly suited for this golf course. The weather is supposed to be nasty this week. It's supposed to be thunderstorms and all kinds of bad weather. And then this weekend, it's supposed to have crazy north wind, um, which is the way the golf course is set up, which means... 16, the par 5 will be downwind, reachable, um, risky but reachable. 17 and 18, famous 17, the par 3, 18, water all down the left will be straight into the wind at about 20 to 25 miles per hour in a cold, cold wind, like a high of like 53 on Saturday, on Sunday, that kind of thing. Wow. Um, I like like Lowry uh, in these conditions. I think Colin Morikawa will play well, um, and I think he has a chance. And if you're going to go sleeper kind of off the board – it's feast or famine with him here, but if you're going to go sleeper off the board, some long shot. I like the Italian Francesco Molinari. He's when he makes the cut here, he has performed very, very well. Now he's missed the cut a bunch too, so it, it's a it's a long shot. But I would go Lowry Morikawa. Colin Morikawa is the best iron player in the world. This golf course, anybody can win. One of the beauties of this golf course is that it's not just a bomber's paradise. Uh, anybody can win. And I like Morikawa here. I like Lowry, and I like uh, Francesco Molinari. That's wonderful. Say hello to Wilbon. Wilbon's going to be there Thursday and Friday, I believe. I know. I so, heard. How good is that? Yeah. yeah. So say hi to Wilbon. Can we get um, you out of the uh, the attic? Or no, no. no. Well, I don't know. You know, if if I could drive to a Waffle House, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Right. I don't know. Okay. Does Broad Thank Branch you. still sell Lemonheads, Tony? Uh, Michael, does Broad Branch sell those? They most certainly do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like I should. Yeah, I'm 53 years old. When I lived on 31st as a kid, I may or may not have taken a box of lemon heads one time from Broad Branch. <laughs> I feel like I should. I feel like I Pay need them to back. send you a box of lemon heads and have you just kind of put it right back in the slot. That's it would funny. make me feel a lot better. Anytime, anytime we can help you with your, you know, with. Getting to even keel morally, we're happy. Thank you, Steve Sands, boys and girls. Nine, I was nine. Tony, remember those old bus tokens from the? You know, you ever take the bus in DC, like the D six, the L four? You probably. Uh, the M four runs by me. I've taken it once or twice, but it's a very long time ago. Yeah, I was I was out of those tokens, so I couldn't buy the the lemonheads, and I felt like I really needed them that day. (laughs) Well, it's different ownership at the store, but I'm sure the new people would be happy to have a. Next you know, box. happy to have a, another case or a box or whatever. <laughs> Steve Sands, get out of here. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Steve Sands, boys and girls. Uh, Sally Jenkins, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. 
You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is El Celeste. This is a song called Call On Me. I'll read the note. I've been a radio producer for 10 years and have 20 years, give or take, of bar industry experience under my belt. Needless to say, I've met a lot of musicians, but none more gifted than my friend Liz Stevens, who has released the first single under her new moniker, El Celeste. Call On Me is an ode to those who find themselves trapped in the pitfalls of addiction. It's an enigmatic blend of gospel harmonies and electronic rhythm, which some refer to as 21st century folk music, and her hauntingly soulful voice acts as the gateway between those two unique musical worlds. We've been friends since our days working at the Ship and Anchor, a legendary Calgary watering hole, and she's always a welcome fill-in on our radio station slow pitch team, and she's also a great shortstop. El Celeste, it's called Call On Me. Michael, if people like El Celeste want to send in original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. If I were you, I'd go right to the end of the show now and just listen to the music because it's really good. Sally Jenkins joins us now, and you know how much I love Sally, and I can't wait for the Pulitzer Prize Committee to understand that she should win this year, as she should have won for the last few years, and give her the prize. She has a column yesterday in the Washington Post, crushing the IOC, in particular, uh, as she calls him, the IOC's Baron von Ripperoff of a President Thomas Bach. Um, just, Just... Lay out for us, in essence, the case that you make in the column is what the IOC has done to, in effect, you know, prop up autocrats and maybe even murderers. Well, when, you, when you're Thomas Bach and you're head of the IOC and you sit and have coffee and macaroons with um, Vladimir Putin while, you know, $30 billion are being essentially stolen from building projects in Sochi, you're basically saying, yeah, corruption is the rule of the day. Uh, and I think Putin got that message. I mean, what I've heard from uh, foreign policy advisors to Congress, which were really informed the, the column, uh, is that it, that contributed to Putin's assumption that the West really wouldn't sanction him, that there weren't going to be really any penalties for moving into Ukraine, because he's gotten away with so many other aggressions leading up to that one. You quote uh, Paul Massaro, I hope I pronounced that name right, a congressional advisor on foreign policy, and his stuff is devastating. I mean, it really is. I mean, he, yeah, he, draws, I mean, he, he draws a line and connects the dots, right? He does. I mean, he's a really interesting guy because he, uh, he, he sits on a commission for European security, a U.S. commission for European security. You know, he's a, he's a senior advisor to Congress on sanctions. Sanctions are his thing. And he's been arguing for years that that uh, there was a new approach to sanctions that could really give them teeth. And, you know, he's finding a lot of his ideas adopted now, and they're working. I mean, that it, it, it's clearly a whole new ballgame uh, has been created by, you know, sort of aligning sanctions um, and the, the organization that they've brought to lining them up with the European Union has been pretty interesting. And it's going to have a real, I mean, from my point of view, it's really going to give pause to Olympic sponsors as far as going into countries or dealing with countries where they may end up having really massive exposure because of the possibility of these sort of really isolating uh, sanctions. You can find your assets getting really cut off. Um, By the way, I think a lot of this is a dress rehearsal for a confrontation with China over Taiwan. 
So companies that have been in there have been told by national security experts for a long time, listen, you better get out. It could get really ugly. And nobody really believed them. Well, now it's here. You know, these confrontations are here. And you're looking at Pepsi considering, you know, essentially writing off its entire uh, Russia operation because it's going to get cut off. Where is Thomas Bach from? And why did he's from Germany? Why do you think? Go ahead. Well, he's an interesting guy from the standpoint of his background is he's a German uh, trained lawyer, but he's also a trained marketer who, uh, and people forget this about him, really trained and worked at the knee of Horst Dossler of Adidas. Mm -hmm. And Dossler is kind of known as the guy who put dirty money into soccer. Uh, he's the guy, Dossler invented sort of uh, bribes. Uh, he's said to have invented or reportedly kind of invented the idea of uh, bribing, paying bribes to win the rights to televised sporting events. Um, if, if, you, if you read up on Dossler's influence on sports, I think it's not exactly regarded as the healthiest one ever. So that leads me to this question. We are the youngest big country in the world. These other countries have been around many, many thousands of years longer than us. We have a certain morality in this country that other countries don't have. Other countries around the world not only take bribes, they expect to be bribed. They have autocracies. They don't have democracies. Um, What makes us in a position where we say, well, this is how the world should be, when the world that existed for so long before us doesn't feel that way. And I think you sort of see that in the Olympics. Well, I think that the argument here is not, you know, follow American morality or Western sensibilities. I think the argument that people like Massaro and with sanctions and these new doctrinaires about sanctions, what they're arguing is, um, look, this is better business. I mean, they're not blind. You know, running around accusing people of amorality or immorality is not the most effective lobbying technique, right? Their point right. is simply this. When, when you do business, there, there's a difference between uh, uh, Vladimir Putin, what he's done in Ukraine, um, and, and Xi Jinping in China, and some of his more aggressive uh, uh, policies inside China, where if you do business in China, you can find your whole business co-opted into the Chinese surveillance system. You know, it, there's a there's a, an other another order of danger doing business in these places where uh, you run the risk of no longer um, being able to call your own shots, and that's an unwise business decision, among other things. And so I think the sanction advocates are basically saying. You know, we've got some confrontations happening and coming here that are going to put you in a pressure vice if you don't watch how you're doing business in these places. The IOC did a really, really, really good lobbying job for many years. Thomas Bach was arguably Putin's lead lobbyist on the international stage, right? Everything that Bach did as head of the IOC was essentially saying, look, it's safe to do business. Come on in. You know, and it wasn't safe to do business. And they're Trojan horses now, a lot of these companies um, that have given leverage over to dictators like Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. Doing business with an autocrat is like, is potentially in some ways uh, putting a Trojan horse in the heart of your economy and your country. And so the question now becomes what are your loyalties, you know? 
So well, it's I, a pressure I, vice. It's not so much the morality right. play as it is the pressure play. So uh, Sochi had the Olympics recently. Beijing had the Olympics yesterday. There seems to have been, and I agree with you completely, the International Olympic Committee, if they haven't blessed these particular countries, they certainly haven't looked askance at them. Russia cheats, and I don't know about China, Russia cheats in every Olympics. State-sponsored cheating, every Olympics, nothing happens to them. Nothing at all. I don't think it's hard to draw the line between Putin's behavior on the world stage in Ukraine and his behavior in the Olympics, or am I being naive to suggest it's the same line? No, it's, it's exactly the same line, and it's part of an entire sort of pattern that suggested to Putin that uh, aggression was okay. Look, don't ever forget the story. Remember when Robert Kraft visited Vladimir Putin and showed him his Super Bowl ring and Putin yeah. took it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just put it in his pocket, remember? And it's like the message back then was, you know, I can steal your Super Bowl ring and you're not going to do a thing about it, are you? I mean, just so why should Putin's behavior now be all that shocking? You know, it, that's what he does. He dares you to protest his stealing and his aggression and his, his experience, partly thanks to his experience with the Olympic Committee and with the Sochi um, experience, is that, no, the West isn't going to push back. And, yeah, I can keep the ring. Um, who have, have you ever known a good IOC president? Have you ever you've been... No. So critical of, of the United States Olympic committees and, and, you know, gymnastics and things like that. Have, is there anybody you've known and you've said, yeah, this person gets it or this person would be good? Well, I think there are people inside, you know, Olympic politics who uh, start out with the right intentions and then they, they get drawn into the IOC's way of, of working. It's a, it's a really untransparent organization. I happen to believe that there's just a long time embedded culture of graft and... Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a trough that uh, you know. Once you start feeding at it, it's very hard to to give up the perks and the you know the things that come with it. Uh, the free living, the the free expenses. It's it's you know it's a scam. I, I really think the IOC is a scam. You know, does it play a role in terms of logistically helping to organize the games? Yes, you know, no question. But, I mean, it honestly, you know, going back to 1936 and, um, and the Berlin Games, I mean, this is an organization that has a real history of being, you know, linking arms with dictators uh, regardless yes. of the cost. Yes, and Avery they, Brundage, yes, yes. Yeah, so, you know, look, they, they have a, a real affinity for thugs and dictators and, and genocidal maniacs. So, you know, it's very, very hard to argue that the IOC, that there's been anyone along the line who ennobled the IOC. They, they haven't. I mean, Jacques Rogue was a, you know, a more, um, you know, a, a, maybe a less overtly uh, corrupt leader of the IOC, but... I mean, quite honestly, it was under his watch that um, the Olympics were awarded to Sochi in the first place, and then Thomas Bach came along and not only didn't do a thing about it, but emboldened, um, you know, all the corruption that, that came out of it. So, no, I, I can't name anyone. I, I know that there are some American officials who really, really believe in the thing. Um, I believe in the athletes. You know, I believe the athletes uh, scrub all the grime off of it every two and four years. You know, every Olympic cycle... The athletes come in and really clean up the whole mess with their performances, and you forget about all the disgustingness that preceded it. 
I'll get you out of here on this, and I'm in no way trying to equate what is going on in Ukraine to sports in the Olympics. I'm not. One is horrifying beyond words and is murder. And so please don't say, oh, he tried to say they're the same things. But I would ask this. If you're not going to kick the Russians out of the Olympics after all the stuff that they've done, are you ever going to kick the Russians out of the Olympics? Or is that just preposterously naive? Well, look, there, there was one instance where the IOC did the right thing historically, and that was apartheid, right? The, yes. the, the boycott, the international boycott of South African sports really mattered. Um, it really helped turn the tide, uh, and it, it really ostracized South Africa. It was a great movement, and it was, it was led by people like Arthur Ashe, on the one hand, but the IOC did the right thing there. They uh, And so, you know, the, it, this stuff matters, right? And so, unfortunately, I think under Thomas Bach, the answer is no. I think Bach, no one I've talked to believes for a minute that Bach is really going to bar Russia from Paris. Uh, he turned a soft eye on state doping. He turned a soft eye on the building corruption in Sochi. And no one believes for a second that he's going to stand up to Putin uh, you know, and and bar Russian Russia from competing in Paris, and I, I think that's just the unfortunate truth. I think mm. that he has a real understanding with Putin about this stuff, you know, and mitigates uh, anything having to do with Russia. And so it, it would be a very different guy with a very different attitude uh, to to really ostracize Russia the way they should be. You know, and it's going to be difficult, by the way, to dislodge Thomas Bach. Thomas Bach is as much of an autocrat inside the IOC, from what I've read and from people I've talked to. Uh, in some ways, uh, you know, it's very, very difficult to um, to push him out. Okay. Thank you, Sally. Thank you. Thank My you. pleasure, Sally Jenkins, boys and girls. We will take a break. Email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This. this. Is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Here kommt Herr Tony's postbital. Hab dein emails, fax und dein notizen. Here kommt Herr Tony's postbital. Denzifer alle Vox haben. It's Tony Beeson. <laughs> Who last graced us with I Have a Piano. I Have a Piano. <laughs> and he writes, in honor of Jingle Fest and all of its absurd glory, and though no one asked for it, here is the mailbag theme sung in German to the tune of Moonlight Sonata by Ludwig van Beethoven. <laughs> and he writes, roll over, Beethoven, tell Tchaikovsky la cheeserie. That's, that's Tony Beeson. That's I don't know what else I can say. <laughs> that's yes. Tony Beeson. Yes. Okay. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, thank you to uh, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you will be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say great moments are born from great opportunity, and that's what you've earned here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight, one game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine, but not this game, not tonight. I believe that's Gene Hackman. 
Uh, no. No, that was um, uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt in, Russell. In Miracle. Okay, in Miracle yes, on but, but I thought Brooks. it was Gene Hockman from Hoosiers. No, no. But okay. Her books. That, I, I imagine that's the speech that will be given to Binghamton tonight before the, the match against uh, Vermont. Vermont, who's beaten us twice by a total of 65 to 70 points. We got a shot. Maybe. <laughs> thanks to our guest, Steve Sands, Sally Jenkins. Thanks to today's sponsors, Simply Safe, Policy Genius, Solo Stove. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Let's read some things here from Kevin Green, um, <clears throat> who writes, I thought you might appreciate my youngest son of three children who recently asked if I would get him a Subaru for his 16th birthday. I looked at him with a raised eyebrow and out missing a beat, he said, so you can tell the world that you love me more. Please tell Peter Jennings, not that Peter Jennings, that I would be happy to host him and you at my club, Starmount Forest Country Club, after you get through Old Town and Sedgefield, a classic track that used to host the Greater Greensboro Open. And he says, Kevin Green, or should I go by KG to get my emails and notes read more often? From Jeff Lowe in Gaithersburg, Maryland, I was surprised to read in the Ultimate Info for Life publication, Parade Magazine, that the head of Khartoum was not a prop but rather a real horse's head retrieved from a dog food factory. I never saw horse heads in the ingredient list of the slop I feed my mutt. Wonder if Jack Waltz knew that Coppola wanted to get a surprise reaction. Method acting at its finest. That was a real horse. Yes, I, I, I that investigated that. Horse. From what I could see, it was that's a true story, yes. From Dylan Lord, who writes, I was watching the show 1883 with a woman to whom I'm related by marriage. The show is about settlers traveling west, and last night was the heart-wrenching season finale. At one point, someone mentions maybe settling down around the Willamette Valley area. I immediately exclaimed, Willamette, damn it, and nothing else. <laughs> she gave me the standard look that says, you're a moron, and we continued our evening in silence until I passed out. But I went to sleep with a smile inside, knowing I had nailed it. I'm from Lubeck, Maine, the easternmost town in the United States, and the list of famous people from here is no one. That's the list. A measly four outlets in the kitchen. What are we even doing? We enjoyed the Bells Up Jupiter Pino last week. Very nice. Yes, yes. Uh, Nick Owsley in Cambridge, Massachusetts. A few days ago, you mentioned which way your D.C. house faces and how much sunlight it gets versus your Delaware house. So have we moved on from counting kitchen outlets and now discussing sunlight exposure across our multiple homes? (laughs) What about the little house? I'm a one-house guy, actually half a house, really, the top two floors. Faces southwest, great afternoon sun. In fact, when the sun is shining, there are a few minutes every day when the sun hits both outlets in my kitchen at the same time. Can't wait to hear you talk with Wilbound about the sun exposure across all of his houses. That could be an entire A lot, lot of options for houseplants with that exposure. <laughs> yes. Um, Tony Tolarigo. Tony from Milesburg, Pennsylvania, now living in Altoona, Pennsylvania, just wanted to say that I walked on a treadmill for 23 minutes and 38 seconds at 3.5 miles an hour at a 10-degree incline yesterday. And my apartment has six outlets that can be used, and I have one loose outlet in my living room. Can Carol come fix it? Yeah, she's got nothing to do to that. Uh, from Skylar O'Brien, dear Tony, Joey for Tony. Who names their child Patience? Not a clue. Who names their child Prudence? My grandmother and her mother and six more generations of Prudences before her. My mother is the eighth Prudence in a row. She had all boys. (laughs) The line ends. Yeah. Uh, From Chad, a haiku. From Roy Battelle to Leslie Mendelson, you've come a long way, baby. From Charlie Burtz, one of our favorites in Springfield, Virginia, as the director of the official middle school band of the Tony Kornheiser Show, it would not surprise you to hear that I recently spent a weekend hosting an honor band event at my school. Honor students from around the country 
gathered for a three-day clinic in which they put together a very impressive band concert. This is an annual event, one we were especially pleased to host after a year off due to COVID. An unexpected bonus came the following Monday when an email appeared in my work box. Mr. Burtz, my son was in the middle school district band this weekend. You were recognized at his concert for hosting him and his peers for rehearsal on Thursday and Friday. Many thanks for making that happen. Are you by chance? The same Charlie Burtz of Springfield, Virginia, an occasional email of the Tony Kornheiser Show. If you're not, apologies for what will seem like an extremely <laughs> odd email. If you are, know that my jaw hit the floor as I did a double take as your name was read and I had my own David Aldrich moment. How great is the connective tissue? A shout out to Jason McConaughey, as well as all littles who are connected to the band world. From Dina in Damascus. One of my friends from way back is David Collier. He lives in Severna Park. He's not the David Collier from Severna Park who writes in the show. This is confusing. Could you please ask him to sign his emails as follows? David Collier from Severna Park, not the one that Dina in Damascus knows. Sure, that seems fair. From Jason Dedakis. Um, in Fountain Valley, California. I must file an official protest against an emailer's claim last Friday that Kerry Russell is from the land of Wilbon, Scottsdale, Arizona. Turns out our favorite Russian femme fatale was actually born here in Fountain Valley before a transient upbringing that included stops in Texas, Arizona, and Colorado before heading back to a nearby Los Angeles to join the Mickey Mouse Club TV show. With a population of right around Mr. Tony's small-town threshold of 50,000, Fountain Valley has as much right to claim her as anyone. Plus, who wouldn't want to be in the hometown club that includes Michelle Pfeiffer and Freddie Freeman? It's pretty That's good. pretty disparate. That pretty is. good. Please yeah. tell my fellow little and hydrology graduate school colleague James Hogan who lives in the DMV and works for the EPA that he can eat it. From Lane Green former Washington quarterback Sammy Ball lived on a ranch outside my hometown Rotan, Texas population around a thousand. He wasn't technically born in Rotan but he said I hope I pronounced that right. It could be Roten but spent more than 50 years there and the main street through town is named for him so surely that is good enough for this podcast. There's a great story a few years ago about Peyton Manning paying him a visit early in his career including the fact that they flew Peyton in on a private plane to a nearby town, but there were no rental cars, so they had to drive the almost hour drive each way in a hearse <laughs> borrowed from a funeral home. So we may be the only town a Manning has seen from inside a hearse. That's pretty good. From Joe Rudden, or Rudin in Mount Airy, formerly Ellicott City. I moved to Mount Airy in August. Would you like to know famous people from Mount Airy? Nah, me either. Um, so we're out of the famous people. Yes. What are they also sending us now? What do uh, they want? Uh, famous people and famous things that happened on my birthday. Oh. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think we're going to go that direction. And we've got, we got some more famous... Okay. Yeah, there'll be some, up, some ones that trickle in. Right? Let's just do it. We'll finish them. Um, growing up in Frankfort, Kentucky, home to about 25,000, one of the smaller capital <clears throat> cities in the United States. Okay, so what happened, for people who don't know what happened, is we cut out at that point... At the last email that I read, then we cut out. And then a couple of more, I was going to say, let's just finish with some of these famous people from small towns. They won't let me finish. Uh, this is providential <laughs> because the, the whole system dropped. So I didn't get to do a couple, and I'm not going to do them now. I'll do them at some other point. Um, we'll just get out of the show now, but I just can't get out of the famous... People from small towns. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do because now it's backed up. 
I'll do it, but don't don't send yeah, any more. I think what we say is don't send us any more. We've got some, you know, on We've got in thousands. Stock. Yeah, so if we'll, we'll get through those, but do not send us any new ones right. from this moment on. So what you missed, Sounds you missed like Clay challenge. Mason, and we'll get to Clay Mason the next time, and you missed Brett Lamp, and we'll get to Brett Lamp the next time. Yes. But it's God's way of saying you can't stop. <laughs> you just can't stop. So if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Andy Poli.
Baby 